97.2. Your station. Your Cam FM. No one would have believed in the last years of the 19th century that human affairs were being watched from the timeless worlds of space. Few men even considered the possibility of life on other planets. And yet, across the gulf of space, minds immeasurably superior to ours regarded this earth with envious eyes. And slowly and surely, they drew their plans against us. One, he said 
Hello and welcome to The Science of Fiction. That was The Eve of War and Forever Autumn by Jeff Wayne from the concept album War of the Worlds by Jeff Wayne, surprisingly. Uh, and you can get that version off the 30th anniversary, I think, edition is, which is something ridiculous like the original film was made 40 years after the Awesome Worlds radio series. So he had nothing to do with the album, I assume? No, no, I think he was a bit old by then. Probably popped his clogs. Yeah, both things. So yeah, if you want to um, send in any comments, send them into studio at camfm.co.uk, or you can text cam plus your message to eight zero eight zero nine. Text cost ten p. And um, do let us know. I mean, especially if you have got some prog rock you feel we should conclude on this show. Not that we can p- pull it out of the hat. Also, hi, this is the science of fiction. Didn't I say that? I'm not sure. Oh well. Let, yes. Let, let, let's assume we've said it twice now. Hello. As you know, that was Andy. As you know, I'm Will. Hello. So today we're concentrating on, concentrating on the music of fiction. I guess this, there's a question here about whether uh, music is a science. Um, and I suppose, regrettably, a lot of what we're going to talk about is not the kind of mathematical and scientific aspects of music, but more the kind of the, the impact it has in fiction. And, in a cu- and specifically in the case of prog rock, you end up with quite a lot of fiction in the music itself. I think prog rock should really be named elitist rock. Yeah... I don't know. It's, it's, it isn't just elitist. It's also you know who wants you know who, who wants to stand in front of a stage and watch someone play a guitar solo for twenty five minutes. I mean me, but uh, not 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 in a bad way. Just you know what I do like about that Jeff Waymo there is that is a complete orchestra with a rock band, and that is something which works really well. But you take the electric instruments and mix them into uh, an orchestra, and the same thing was done by Metallica in that S and M album. And the same thing is done in a soundtrack I've mentioned about a thousand times, the, uh, the soundtrack to The Fountain, um, et cetera, et cetera. It's, you know, it's Mogwai plus uh, the Kronos Quartet and the combination of you know, these, these four um, post-rock musicians plus this string quartet. It's, it's incredible. It's really, really powerful music. So when does prog rock come post-rock? They're not really... They, they have a lot in common, right? Like uh, Post-rock... As a genre, in as much as it's one thing, it's characterized by being, you know, instrumental rock. Normally, um, like long, slow build-ups um, can be you know, extremely in your face when it does get to its, you know, reach its peak. But it's not so much of the kind of huge flamboyant guitar solos and concept um, albums kind of end of the spectrum. And of course, War of the Worlds and many other albums are exactly what I mean by concept album: the idea of taking a story and bringing it across an entire album. The re- one of the reasons I'm interested, I'm interested to know what H.G. Wells and or his uh, descendants think of that album is that uh, another sort of classic work of science fiction, uh, Dune, um, has spawned lots of bands who've named songs or themselves after elements of Dune. For example, there was a uh, hardcore band called Shihalud, who are the which is the Fremen's name for the sandworms in Dune. Um, but... Um, I've heard ter- Frank Herbert. Frank Herbert uh, absolutely hated rock music with a flaming passion. So there's a certain irony to all these bands, you know, in awe of his science fiction epic, playing music that he would never have approved of and would certainly never have uh, endorsed the use of his his characters and universe with. But that's is that one of the great things about things like music is that you can. Do, you, you just grow something, it grows outwards, and it doesn't necessarily someone likes it originally. You know, if you take Mozart and you make it into a bit of music inside the Lemmings computer game, 
I'm sure Mozart would be completely appalled by that, but it got people listening to Mozart at a slightly higher tempo. Yeah, and there's there's a um, there's a band whose name temporarily escapes me again, uh, who are I think originally Cambridge based. So maybe someone can can write and remind me who they are. But they have a their thing is just two producers or a singer and a producer you know, with some with some laptops and then a string quartet. And they have one song called Mozart's House where they're playing you know a, a Mozart string concerto, but there's like you know beats and a guy you know half singing half rapping over it. It's interesting. Um, they're called Clean Bandits, that's what they're called. Their song, um, ah, they have another song which is very good and also has some strings, but it's not so, it's not literally we're playing Mozart over a beat. Yeah, and of course, <clears throat> I'm sort of looking out for an early prog rock or precursor to prog rock band, and uh, one of the ones that came up was uh, Beatles. Uh, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Heart Club band. Oh, and yeah, I guess the Beatles have several kind of concept albums, right? They have, you yeah. know, obviously Yellow Submarine was, was a film, but ultimately it's kind of concept music, right? It's really bizarre. Yeah. Well, I, I, actually, I should I should confess, I've never seen it. Oh, well, so the music's quite bizarre. I mean, We All Live in a Yellow Submarine is, sounds like a nursery rhyme. A nursery rhyme for people on a lot of LSD. Yeah. Don't do drugs. Don't do drugs. Which brings us, of course, to um, Pink Floyd. <laughs> Cambridge-based um, psychedelic rock band that became um, prog rock with the concept album Dark Side of the Moon, which I don't believe has a story. It has a large number of clocks and things like that, but no story. Uh, so, so, so it sort of has epic-sounding lyrics, but without any actual coherence plot behind them. Well, <clears throat> so the thing about the song Time, for example, is it opens up with a crescendo of clocks going off and money has got a, crescendo, got a load of cash registers making the music oh. beat. And I think it's more of that kind of thing. Also, it's... Um, it was interesting, it was released on Super Audio CD quite early on, and people were like, ooh, this is awful, they made it a five-track CD, shouldn't do Touch a Concept album. And I did kindly point out to people that Quadraphonic was as old as Pink Floyd, and it had been recorded as a four-channel LP. That <laughs> um, like, you can just annoy your friends with by then just going, yeah, we didn't care anyway. <laughs> uh, so, dear listeners, what are your, your favourite concept albums, um, and do you think it's... I mean, there's, I mean, there's been various sort of recent bands have tried to do the like prog concept album thing. Muse have done a few of them. Coheed and Cambria's entire existence is five increasingly ridiculous concept albums. And there's some really terrible comic books. What as about well. the streets? Just suddenly clicked in my mind. They did that album which went all the way from Game Dead, which is a tale about a guy who lost money in TV. Can't remember the name of the album. It's really good. Really? Yeah, yeah, really good album. It's, um, it's the one with Cry Your Eyes Mate on. Okay. Okay. I'll take, a, I'll take a word for it. That, that, it's only won lots of awards, and I like it. That defines music to me. That sounds like a pretty good reason to like an album. Okay, so we're going to suddenly... Uh, well, to be honest, that last track was fairly over the top anyway, so we're going to go into something even more over the top, if that's possible. Clytus, I'm bored. What plaything can you offer me today? An obscure body in the SK system, Your Majesty. The inhabitants refer to it as the planet Earth. How peaceful it looks. <laughs> Most effective, Your Majesty. Will you destroy this uh, Earth? Later. I like to play with things a while before annihilation.
97.2 camfm.co.uk on air and online your camfm welcome back to the science of fiction and that was of course flash gordon by queen which I'm not sure I've ever actually heard. I think I've heard it referenced, but somehow I've managed to avoid ever well, listening to it in its entirety before. Have you watched the movie? I have not watched the movie. Oh, go home, buy yeah, it online, okay, bye. watch it. Bye, everyone. <laughs> Which also, um, yeah, and do, do send in your comments if you have a lover of uh, Flash Gordon and Brian Blessed, who very sadly did not make University Chancellor. Oh, is he, does he star in the film? Yeah, he's something like Hawkman. He's got a load of Hawk men, and there's a giant fight on a moving platform between his men and Flash Gordon, or actually himself and Flash Gordon, I think. This sounds like an unconventional movie. It's got Timothy Dalton in it as well. Yeah, I guess like, like it's, what, a, it's what? a comic book is why I picked it because Flash Gordon is a comic book character. Oh, I see. Yes, so the whole movie is comic book, and that's of course the dialogue at the beginning was Ming the Merciless, and um, the whole Earth bit. I love that. Earth. Our puny planet called Earth. Yeah, you always get this, this this thing in sci-fi where you have all the crazy planets are called, you know, unpronounceable, very, very long things, and then, you know, this Earth planet. It, also, I find it interesting, how how many different languages on the planet do call Earth after mud? I mean, it, it kind of makes sense, because it's, it's basically people, people scaling up the thing under their feet to be the huge thing under their feet. Yeah, so therefore, presumably, every if this is a common thing, not just... Because most sci-fis have people in every planet as right, well. And, and presumably people will refer to the thing they stand on as earth or, or mud or something, and the thing in the sky that shines as whatever their word for sun or star is. Exactly. Well, not star, probably, because people don't think the sun is a star instinctively. But, yeah, you, you just, you'd, you'd assume that actually everyone would call their planet the same thing. Yeah. Or at least something translated to the same thing. So, obviously, there's loads and loads of songs out there which have um, been written just due to comic books. So, I mean, great examples are all the ones we have with our, my first show with Ben Valsler all that time ago, Science Fiction, uh, including the Jimmy Olsen Blues from The Spin Doctors, which is like a song about a... Mo- I don't want to call him a minor character because he's so big across the comic book things, but most of us wouldn't think of him as a major character of Superman. Um, we've played Iron Man before, which goes from Black Sabbath, though... Oddly enough, isn't to, is retconned into Iron Man. Oh, I see. So, so, so it's so it talks about events which don't actually happen in Iron Man, and then well, and then they made it that Iron Man was cool that because he liked Black Sabbath, huh, or something like that. That's pretty cute. It is quite cute. So there's those things. Of course, Wonder Boy by Tenacious D, which is a bit more of a parody. And I don't know if uh, Wonder Boy's a Sega ca- character. I think is he. You've got me. I think he's. I remember him on the Master System. I think a long, long time ago. He didn't do so quite so well. Can you think of any any bands or you know artists that have been made themselves into um, in, into comics? Because I mean, because like listening to Queen, maybe remember that uh, We Will Rock You, the musical, is unlike quite a lot of these musicals based on the back catalogue of a band. It's actually about a band um, who will rock you, um, which is kind of. Close. It's not actually about Queen directly, but it's almost turning these real people into fictional characters. Yeah, well, <clears throat> I would like to go and see that, actually. It sounds interesting. Queen have great music, though, of course, it won't be Queen doing it, which is um, a bit difficult to sort of then say, do I want to see some other people playing Queen songs? I mean, you haven't, you haven't really got any choice any choice now, right? Well, Freddie Mercury was a legend. He, uh, that man's voice. It shows in um, that track we just played just quite how high he can get and still enunciate. Yeah, he's, he's, he's got really like incredible body for, his, for behind his falsetto, which is a unique skill. So we're going to play our next song now. And this, as we promised you, we're going to get through quite a bit more music we show than we normally do. So, um, yeah, this is one about Superman. And uh, it's by a band I know called The Crash of Tommies, but apparently everyone else forgot even existed so um hopefully you'll either enjoy it or you'll write in to tell me that it's rubbish um 
hear you after the break. Tarzan wasn't a ladies' man. He just come along and scoop him up under his arm like that. Quick as a cat in the jungle. But Clark Kent, now there was a real gent. He would not be caught sitting around in no jungle scheme. Dumb as an ape doing nothing Superman never made any money Saving the world from Solomon Grundy And sometimes I despair The world will never see another man Like him Bob, Sue had a straight job Even though he could have smashed through any bank in the United States He had the strength, but he would not Folks said his family were all dead Planet crumbled, but Superman, he forced himself to carry on Forget Krypton and keep going Superman never made any money For saving the world from Solomon Grundy Sometimes I despair The world will never see another man Like him Tarzan was king of the jungle And lord over all the apes But he could hardly string together Stopping crimes I'll bet that he was tempted To just quit and turn his back on man Join Tarzan in the forest But he stayed in the city Kept on changing clothes and dirty old phone booths till his work was through. Had nothing to do but go home. Sometimes I 
Welcome back to The Science of Fiction. Uh, we've only had one email in so far, and uh, we have adjusted the webcam for you. I'm glad you can now see us. Well, uh, I mean, unless, of course, as dear listeners, you prefer to look at the wall rather than at us. It has a fetching logo on it, which you now can't see because it's now pointing at me. I'm now, I'm now actually transfixed looking at the camera. It's like looking down the beams of a sniper. So that song, as I said beforehand, was Superman's song by the Crash Test Dummies. Why should I have heard of Crash Test Dummies, Andy? Oh, you're going to try and make me remember... Basically, when I was younger, they had an album out that people knew, and uh, it was like actually got into um, the charts. The charts, yes. They so the Canadian, all the best bands are Canadian. So yeah, that's what they were widely known for their 1993 t- single. Mm-mm-mm-mm. That's a pretty catchy name. Yeah, the song pretty much goes. Mm-mm-mm-mm. That's, I mean, I suppose you could argue that quite a lot of Sigur Ross songs are basically um, guttural noises for a long time. There's so many songs out there which you think they just couldn't be bothered to work out lyrics for one verse. And they just sort of get halfway through and just go... And it's like, yeah, you just couldn't get the lights to scan that, could you? <laughs> the other one I, I, I have is um, come across is Afternoons and Coffee Spoons. What's that? Is that another, another, song, song, another, another, song. another song with them? Okay. Oh, yeah, and um, I've, I've never heard of them. They're very much that sort of laid back. I'm not going to put much effort into singing. Okay. Well, I mean, they're, they're, I love the sound. There are a lot. Of, there are a lot of singers who can really get away with that with that, with that kind of lazy like, voice that you. It's barely they're barely about get, getting the sounds out. Yeah, and it's a very nice contrast to something like Flash Gordon, which is massive to this very laid back sort of thing about the wonders of Superman, who. Yeah, as they say, he never made any money. He could have stolen from banks, but he didn't. Yeah, well, I mean, you'd, you'd hope that... Well, I suppose this is what's one of the things that is really unrealistic about all superhero things, shows is that I don't actually think people are that... I suppose all the people, who, all the villains who aren't the superheroes who have magic powers mm. are counterbalancing the... the well, they're, they're there to prove that humanity really isn't that great. Yeah, and of course it gets a bit different depending which comic strip it is, because... Batman, of course, you have the Joker, and the Joker isn't superpowered any more than Batman is, so that sort of balances out. Although there are um, superpowered characters in Batman, and, the, and there are some superhero films where, or people with special powers films, where people play in bands, even like so, well, you're leading somewhere. I know. I'm, I'm leading only to Scott Pilgrim, which. Oh, I okay. <laughs> you're leading to the thing you love. Of course, of course. Yes, yes, Scott Pilgrim. I still need to read that. You should, you should read it and you should see it. And you should play and you should play the um, PlayStation 3 arcade game. I, I think I downloaded it from my Xbox the other day. Okay. Actually, the it's, demo. It's really hard. You need, you need to have like three or four players for it to be possible. Okay. Don't, don't bother playing it single player. So that's something that's gone from comic book to music, effectively, by having comic, to movie, to computer game. And the, the book is actually about the computer game. Or they live in a computer game. Anyway. Well, yeah, it's yeah. The, the computer game is not based on the pl- on the plot of these things, um, but uh, I don't know. It's it's kind of a it's kind of a similar world where you know in, in the in the film and the comic books they fight people as if it's normal, and sure enough, they get the game is just a side scrolling beat 'em up. Yep. Ah, so 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 dear listener, you've written into to just with the single three letters gem and then three exclamation marks. A uh, gem is a um, a character from a I think. 
early 90s TV show. Oh, that Jim. And and she she's she's truly outrageous, truly 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 outrageous as as the um as the title song goes. And by by uh, day she's you know, a quiet student or something, but she has a um she has some kind of special computer that helps her like power up and disguise herself and then she plays in a band. But then the rival band, the Misfits, have supposedly better songs and they're going to get her. This and I only know any of this because Freeze Pop covered the theme song. And this is the sort of thing that was not marketed as young boys, of course. That's true. I mean, to be, to be fair, I'm not sure that f- I'm really Freeze Pop's target audience anyway. But yeah, I was, I was de- I'm definitely not Gem's target audience. Am I going to guess that, like most people I know who listen to Freeze Pop, you first came about it from Guitar Hero? No, actually. No, I, I first came across... How did I first come across Freeze Pop? Um, probably from my... Uh, <sighs> Probably, it was probably referenced by Penny Arcade or something. Yeah, which probably came across it from Guitar. Or, or, or maybe it was in the context of they have a song about um, uh, Philippe, a character from. Oh, what the hell? There's this really, really old uh, webcomic, which. Um, Hello, dear listener, who's surprised by my knowledge of Gem. It's only—it's all based on one song. I had to try and understand the song, and there it is. No, the um, there's 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 a, there's a really old webcomic. Dear listeners, please fill in my memory. It's completely blank. It's about various animals who live on the corner of Dude and Catastrophe, which I only know because of another song. And then they had there's there's a small otter called Philippe, and he is um, they can't find the drum machine manual, but it turns out that he's standing on the drum machine manual. You've lost me. I think we're going to move on from that. that that's just completely lost me. So, um, but like, but there's other soundtracks and other computer games which make more sense. Like, like Final Fantasy, we've played on the show before, haven't we? I think, have we played any of the soundtrack? Probably. I think we played it when we were discussing... Oh, probably, probably, pro- probably video games. Was it which was a long time ago. Long, we did it two weeks ago, I think we may have played some... Okay, I'll take I'll take a word for it. I'm not what show was it. I've probably forgotten, but like people associate really strongly with the with the soundtracks to all these classic games. I don't know to what extent it's because the music is great, which I think a lot of, a lot of it is. Um, but uh, the I don't know. I think I think it might partly be a nostalgia thing. People remember when, when they were younger, they really enjoyed playing Zelda, and so they've they've, they've kind of idealized the the music. Um, a little, a little more than it maybe deserves. You just remind me because we're talking about music and music games. Of course, there's Tetris, and there's someone, and I know you've seen him live because I went with you. A guy called Dan Woods who has a great song about Tetris. Ah, oh, he co- he covered the traditional Russian folk song. Yes, which, which is what the music to Tetris is, and he has a song that I'm the man who arranges the blocks, which is I think the title of the song is something like a brief. A complete history of the Soviet Union, as told by a humble worker, ranging to the melody, of, ranging to the melody of Tetris. Well, dear listeners, I, th- I, I strongly advise you to um, go and f- Google for that if you like. Hasn't he also got like the world's number one album t- of humorous songs discussing uh, allotment digging? Um, it's likely. I, I'm not sure I've heard that many songs about allotment digging in my life. Yeah, I, I think that's why. So, but it does have rapping slugs. Um. Okay. Well, I, I'm I'm first to take a word for that. You, you've seen it live. Oh yeah, the, the, the kind of the, the impromptu musical about slugs. Yeah. yeah. Okay. He has a whole album on it. It's brilliant. Uh, go buy stuff because everyone just watches on YouTube and he doesn't get a penny. Poor guy, uh, and he's brilliant. So, which, which is a parallel of the of, of the of the modern music and performance industry. Yeah. So moving on from that, Mario, you put down on the notes. Well, yeah. People people have kind of like people use the Mario theme as their song of choice to play on crazy new new instruments. There's people who've performed the Mario theme on Tesla coils. There's someone who performed it by lining up milk bottles in a car park and then getting a remote controlled car and strapping a ruler to the top of the remote controlled car and then driving it along the bottle. So it goes dung 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 and so on. You know, all the way all the way down the bottles. And then towards the end, there's two rows of bottles which it hits on both sides. And then 
as the video reaches the end, there's a very confused security guard just looking looking at the camera around. Well, what the hell are you doing here? But that's more probably that's why that's very useful is because as we say, it's a bit tuned, so it's very simplistic. So it's very easy to do with just a, what you're talking about as a money monophonic device. Yeah, yeah. it's a really unusual one. Something can play a single note or two with two rulers, but and also because it, because it's a really recognisable tune. Yeah, um, your rendition can be really simplistic, and people will hear the whole thing in it. But I know in London they recently had a Zelda. Com- uh, I say conference. I mean say concert. Yeah. Well, like, that, that's a, that's a thing. Like and they're massively expensive as well because they don't do them very often. But when they do them, like. Loads all all the nerds go And I, I, I would have gone If it hadn't been Really expensive and sold out <laughs> before, <laughs> before I found out about it Which is the peril Of all these things Yes So basically Unless you're on the Zelda fan list You're not going to find out Yeah that's true but To be honest I wouldn't go Really? No I can't oh, We'd have a discussion And me and concerts Don't work Okay I have the bladder Of a small child And you also have A small child Yeah The child also has A bladder of a small child But that's more natural That's kind of part Of the course for children I think <laughs> Okay so I think we're just going to tail off talking about computer games. Is this the last? No, we have a bit more about computer games in a moment. But uh, Portal got a lot of attention because it had a song in it, which most of you probably know. Um, yeah, it was. I mean, it's it's a song which has been which has been around for a while, and people have heard a lot of different versions of it. Um, it's by Jonathan Coulton, and he re- released a new album recently called Artificial Heart, which I really recommend you go and buy. Um, and yeah, so it ends up having you know it's, it's, it's mostly all new songs. And then towards the end, well, of course he had to put his songs from Portal One and Portal Two onto the album. But there's a couple of kind of slightly new twists on them. Yeah. So this one's featuring Sarah Quinn, who's from another band. She's from she's from the uh, popular indie group Tegan and Sarah. Oh, that's easy to remember. Um, yeah. So instead of having the character from computer games singing, you get someone who's slightly more melodic rather than sounding like a 1980s computer singing. Which, you know, it, it, it has its place. It definitely has its place. So anyway, uh, I really hope you enjoy this track. We certainly love it. Uh, it's been a bit overplayed, though. Yeah, I think, I think I'd be happy if this is the last version I ever hear of it. Okay, I'll just fade it out for you. This was a triumph. I'm making a note here. Huge success. It's hard to overstate my satisfaction. Aperture science. We do what we must because we can. For the good of all of us, except the ones who are dead. But there's no sense crying over every mistake. You just keep on.
someone else to help you Maybe Black Mesa So welcome back to the Science of Fiction. Thank you, thank you, listener who wrote in to say they prefer the Gladys version. Uh, if you're writing into the show uh, and you want to get credit for who you are, please say your name, because we have no idea who you are apart from an IP address, and our lives are too short to stalk you. I also don't want to stalk someone who likes the Gladys version. Um, it's, it's, it, it, it's a lot more distinctive, I think. No, it, it definitely works in the game, because obviously the... Yeah, one yeah, of the characters. Sure. Whereas if this random indie band songstress came along and started singing, that would be weird. Well, one issue I have with the, with with that version of that song is if you if you watch the video, um, Sarah is quite obviously reading the lyrics from a um, from a music stand, which is a bit like, well, okay, you don't really. I, I mean, I'm sure she gets the song, and you know, it's a, it's it's a, it's a technically good rendition of it, but it felt a bit like, well, okay, this is this is very much a session musician coming in to perform this. Yeah, but so. As I mentioned briefly, there's a um, there's a Jonathan Coulson song in Portal Two, but the rest of the Portal Two soundtrack is um, actually quite different. It's all kind of pro- programmatic, kind of glitchy music, um, which um, which uh, is kind of designed to sound like a, a machine might have written it. Um, and it's actually interactive. So as you as you as you go through the game, as you solve puzzles bit by bit, more parts of the music come in. So as you bounce off different launch pads, the jump pads in the game, different tracks come in for each one. So that when you actually solve the puzzle, the music's built you know built up to a full, which is pretty interesting. That's pretty cool because I know the Unreal Engine used for lots of computer games originally Unreal has the ability to do dynamic soundtracks because it's only when you were hacking away at it, you used to be able to find out which ones were running. And that was useful when you get in a fight, it would bring in extra levels of music to make it a bit more aggressive and increase the tempo, even though it was effectively the same with music, it would change the feel of the music. Right, and, and this is one, I think this is one of the challenges of composing, composing video game music, is you have to try and um, have make, make music that, that makes sense, for the, even if the player is playing really slowly or playing really quickly. Unless you somehow manage to work the exact timing of the music directly into the video game, which um, a few people have managed. So this, this next track we're about to play is an example of that. Thank you. 
fm.co.uk on air and online your cam fm welcome back to science of fiction that was stalwart by demo scene time machine which is uh but better known as the soundtrack to the video game Stalwart by Jonathan Whiting. Um, hi, Jonathan. I hope you're listening. Um, and, so and maybe you're the person who just sent that email saying what a great choice of music we have this week. Well, if, if, if it was, then hi, Jonathan. If not, I'm glad whoever it is like, likes this music and is completely unbiased. Yes, and please put your name on it. We, we can track who are genuine, our regular emails by your IP address, but we still have no idea who you are. We, we love you. But yeah, so Stalwart is this um, flash game, which if you if you Google for Jonathan Whiting Stalwart, you'll find it. Um, and it's um, it's a side-scrolling platformer, um, you know, and there are sort of projectiles flying at you, and the screen scrolls, and you can't control the scrolling, so you have to just keep running and jumping and dodging all these missiles. There are various difficulty levels. I think on the lower levels, hit, a missile hitting you doesn't really matter, it just counts up. On the higher levels, I think if you get hit by a missile, you die. Yeah, so I played it earlier today. It seemed to have easy, medium, and hell. Yeah. Uh, and helmet you had one life uh, yeah. and easy medium changed how much flew at you but it, what happens is you, when you get hit you lose your score multiplier ah oh, that's right yeah but yeah, so uh, yeah, it's, it's from the kind of subgenre of incredibly difficult indie games. Um, but one thing that's nice about it is that a lot of the projectiles actually um, strike in, strike the ground in time with the music. So if you're following the music, so you could play the game without the music. It would be, it would be you know five and a half minutes, and it would be it would be a thing. But if you get into the kind of into the groove of the music, at least I found it made it, it made it a little bit easier um, because you could you could you could like move in time with the music and um, try and anticipate what would be happening next, which was which was interesting. However, I made a mistake because I wanted to play it quickly. For coming here, put them easy, and I think some of because it's got less things hitting the ground, they don't change the music. Uh, okay, so but, but it's but, it, but it, it's quite a nice way to dodge the problem of um, needing to make your music suitable for however long the player takes by saying the game takes five and a half five and a half minutes. The yeah. end. Um, but another game which managed to work the soundtrack directly into the game mechanic was uh, Res, the classic Dreamcast title, which has been redone in HD on the Xbox, which is how I played it. But ah, of course, so, so you can play it with a console that more than four people own. Yes, and the other thing is it doesn't come with the um, transbrator. Ah, yeah, there was a strange r- r- rumble pack so that one person could play it and the other person could just ho- hold, hold this thing and see how well you're playing. But so the, th- the thing about this game was that you were sort of swimming through this virtual reality environment and locking yourself onto enemies, which, you, which you'd swipe, you'd, you'd kind of scan across the screen and like 
I click on the various things, and then the shooting of them down would be in time with the music and add and add a melody to the music. It it really works well. That's one thing I remember is I really enjoy. It. And the more it's coming at you, sort of the more the music builds, and it's really particularly good. It's also it, it is kind of fun because as you sort of go along, you sort of power up your character. He starts off as a stick man, and he gets more and more zen as it goes on. To eventually have this full sort of metallic cross-legged lotus position guy. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's a really really nice kind of minimalist feeling um, kind of slightly trance inducing game and pseudo computer hacking yeah and there was actually I think that came from when someone played an early demo the debug console of the game was was being printed on the screen so the developers could figure out what was going wrong with the game and people liked it so they just left the debug console in the game oh so the all, all the kind of pseudo hacking stuff at the top is actually literally just the game's debug output which is a really cheap way to add to add it you know great for everyone involved so yeah. apparently there's a sequel to this coming out well it's, it's not a sequel it's a sequel in current context and it exists now I believe I haven't played it but the thing called Children of Eden which Everyone, people have been saying it's a really good game, but it costs fifty quid as games do now. Wow! Uh, but it's but it's a sort of music connect game, so it's again on the Xbox, and you can wave around, and it all all does the same thing. People say it's brilliant, but I haven't had a chance to play because one, I don't want to pay for a connect because they're expensive, am I right? And two, I don't want to pay for a game which is because Res is about five quid now. Yeah, but but speaking of games which are about five quid now, um, there's a, a a game from 1990 called Loom by LucasArts, who are probably more famous from Monkey Island. Actually, they advertise there's a, there's a pirate in a bar in Monkey Island who has a badge saying "Ask me about Loom," and if you ask him about Loom, he advertises Loom to you. So it's but it's kind of a unique point-and-click adventure. You don't you don't have an inventory and like combine items and push and pull things. When uh, you say unique, you mean unique for LucasArts at the time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, since as many people have got around the LucasArts consistently the same of the 1990s interface. Sure, uh, yeah, sure. But I mean, it's it's kind of it, it, no, there was nothing like it 21 years ago. Um, so you so you, you play this character who can cast spells by playing four notes on a keyboard on on your magic staff of some description. Um, but you have to, as you wander around the game, you learn the tunes by seeing other people play them. Um, which is kind of neat. Um, it's actually it's it's quite a short game. I recommend you go and play it if you like point and click adventures. It took me about two and a half hours today to play it from start from start to finish. And actually, I think it could have been shorter. There's a lot, lots of places which like the, the the playing of notes is painfully slow. If you know exactly what you want to play, but it plays at most one note a second. It's like oh no, I just want to. And he walks really slowly. I mean, I think I think it's aged badly in that. Gamers are very impatient now, myself included. But it's aged well, and it's, it's a kind of interesting concept and doesn't last that long. One thing I would be worried about is, is when you say two and a half hours, is that, did you ha- had you played it before, or did you have a walkthrough, or...? No, nope, I never played it before. A couple places I got stuck uh, and checked a walkthrough, partly because I wanted to... because I was worried about completing it before this show, but actually that was no problem at all. Yeah. Um, but... No, and there's a few places where the, the the game itself makes it it doesn't make it obvious where you can walk or what or what in objects you can interact with. But yeah, I think basically like for as a relatively unskilled games player, um, it's it's you know quite a short game. Um, in fact, it's been criticised for that. But I don't think it's so bad. Um, Certainly now the price today means it's not a problem. Yeah, exactly. Two ninety nine. Two ninety nine on Steam. Um, yeah. Have a, have, a, have a play. Um, I'm looking for my check-in post for that. There's quite a nice in-joke that um, the one of the one of the subplots involves people being turned into swans, and there are various kind of little MIDI jingles. There's actually no soundtrack. There's the the spells you cast and the little jingles when you cast a spell successfully or you fail to cast a spell, and they're all actually um, me- melodies from Swan Lake. 
Um, so it's, which, is, which is kind of kind of neat. But also in the voice acting version, the shepherds are Scottish, which seems to be a thing that every game does. Yeah, and we, we should just take care in case some mad Loom fan gets on the email. We know there are other versions with a soundtrack. Yeah, other versions with and without talking, with and without soundtracks, with some more or less dialogue added. It's kind of like Star Wars. If this bothers you, there is a forum for people like you. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm sure this place will be people discuss it at length, but we don't have time to work out which is the best one. So, yes, as you were saying, the voice actors of all the shepherds are Scottish, which is obviously a cliche, and that leads us directly into our next track. Cambridge, your station, your Cam FM. 
So welcome back to The Science of Fiction. That was Keep the Dog Quiet by Owen Pallett, who some of us might have previously heard of in his previous guise as Final Fantasy, though he changed his name to avoid trademark concerns. But yeah, this is kind of harking back to um, our earlier talk- conversation about concept albums. Um, this album's a concept album in an imaginary, imaginary world called Spectrum, uh, starring a ultra-violent farmer, who isn't Scottish, she's Canadian, so yeah, that's, that's fine. An ultra-violent Canadian? Well, I, I don't uh, believe that. It's, it's, they're normally quite docile. This is not a believable story. No, it's not. Nothing, nothing about the concert album is, is believable. But you know, it's you know, it's it's. I guess you know, if if being a concert album makes it prog, then it's prog. But I don't think it's prog. It's 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 orchestral pop. But speaking of orchestras, um, sort of, if, we, if we're sort of veering wildly towards serious liter- literature, um, there's a novel by Vikram Seth, uh, who's I think most famous for A Suitable Boy, which is one of the longest novels ever written in the English language. Um, but his uh, second novel, which I think is probably, it's, it's definitely more um, accessible, is called An Equal Music. And it follows a violinist who, um, he, he, he plays in a moderately successful string quartet somewhere in London, and it follows him around. But, it, but the, um, and he sort of earlier in his life uh, lived in Vienna and was involved with, with, with a lady. And then, you know, things, things fell apart and he, you know, misses her greatly. And then he, he bumps into her in London and it's all very awkward because she's now married with children. But um, quite, quite aside from the, you know, the like romantic plot of the book, the, um, I think what, what I found most interesting about it is that he managed to really capture what, it, like, what it's like to play in an orchestra. He had these really vivid descriptions of the atmosphere in a rehearsal and how, you know, people are having arguments and then they managed to switch, you know, from, to kind of transfer the energy of their, um, of their kind of angst and so on into the music, which is pretty neat. I just love the fact we just got anyone in telling you to plug your own concert. I, I actually wasn't sure whether to do this, um, but well, yeah, I've, I've made you now. No, I'm, I'm going to save that for, for a few minutes from now. Okay, okay. Uh, we got another email here from Tom. So thank you for putting your name and um, a great message. He agrees that we have great music this week. I think it's been fine, but yeah, <laughs> you think it's been fine. You you put it together with me. Yeah, well, you know, I, I, I would kind of hope I would kind of hope that we'd. Uh, yeah, it's always great music. Yeah, um, but no, there was there was a. Um, there was there was another um, film which came, well, a film which came to mind um, called Shine. I forget the name of the no- of the biography it's based on, but it's about the life of um, David Helfgoth, who is a Helfgoth uh, Helfgoth, who is a Australian pianist uh, who was like, struggling to learn a Rachmaninoff's fiendishly difficult third piano concerto. So this is particularly difficult because I I can't tell one piano. Concerto yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like it, it's it's notoriously difficult. It's it's kind of it's part of the standard repertoire, but it's one of the hardest things. I'm told. I'm not a pianist. So why? But, but, but why is it so hard? Is it just lots of fast movement or very wide sort of spacing on the fingers? Or it's, it's just technically technically, technically challenging. You know, very very involved. I'm not a pianist. I couldn't really say. Um, so the yeah, the film's kind of criticised for being not that accurate a biographic description of this guy's life. Um, and you know, maybe his his father was not actually quite as slave driving as he's made out to be in the film. But um, it's it's still quite a, quite quite an intense film. And one of the really nice things about it is in the scenes where David. The character of David Halfgott is uh, playing the piano. Quite often, it's actually Halfgott playing the piano on the soundtrack. The the actor's miming, and the the the, re- the real person recorded parts of the soundtrack, which is kind of cute. That is, well, that's a really nice way of doing it because it reflects him. But do they have recordings of him having? Well, does he actually start having problems playing, and do they have recordings of that? Um, 
I'm not. I, I, I forget. I think he, you know, he, he, he completes he completes the concerto and then has you know has a huge breakdown and, and ends up uh, in a mental institution. But then someone, he he happens to come across a piano in the institution and someone recognizes his playing and recognizes him and he sort of is sort of rehabilitated back into the world of performing and it's kind of. A heart- so heartwarming what, story. What era is this? Because obviously, asylums can be very different depending on the. I think era. it's the '60s. There's kind of ele- electroshock and stuff. It's that, th- those parts are a bit grim. Um, yeah, it's a good film though. I recommend it. But if you if you like Rabanov piano concertos, um, the orchestra I play in uh, UCPO, the University of Cambridge Philharmonic Orchestra, is uh, playing um, a number of works, including Rabanov's second piano concerto uh, next Wednesday at Wesley Methodist Church. Okay, well, um, be sure to check them out. It's quite different from what we play on here. Yeah, I mean, it's it's. Uh, it's an interesting contrast, uh, com- you know, com- compared to you know, let- let's play loads of music with you know, glitches and you know, whirring noises and the the song you may have heard in the background just then, which was you know, p- p- portal music. Um, j- jumping from that to you know, playing Gershwin and Rachmaninoff you know, and so on is it's a nice contrast. So someone sent in an email. This is from a question we asked very near the beginning. Uh, bands that have turned into comic book characters and um, Kiss the band turned into a comic book apparently. Probably quite a good choice. They, kind of, they I kind of associate them. There's, there's that album cover, right, with the um, yeah, they're the, the the clowns. And I sort of do scare quotes in the air when I say that because they're nothing like a clown I know of. Well, you know, th- th- there are clowns and there are clowns, and I tend I tend to avoid clowns. I guess they're kind of often seen as these kind of nightmare figures. But anyway, well, well that brings us near to the end of the show. We've got about 15 seconds left. So thank you for listening. Thank you for all your emails. Always great to hear from you. We have no idea what we're doing next week. Uh, we, we don't, but in, in two weeks we're back with um, a guest talking about the joys of cryptography. Yep, and we may even have an actual Enigma machine in the studio to um, wave at webcam. We may not if we decide it's too expensive and risky to break. It might so be cardboard. Thank you. 